In a world filled with movies, it can be hard to choose just one to watch. What do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? I'm not deciding this. What do you want to watch? I asked first. Come on. What do you want to watch? No. What do you want to watch? What do you want to watch, Patrick? What do you Where even watch? narrowing down a you genre can be a struggle. How about we watch a drama? Too many emotions. Okay, then how about we watch an action film? Too many explosions. I know, I know. Let's watch a horror movie. Oh, uh, Dad, just do an interview already. Welcome, everybody, to the Diecast Movie Podcast, where this episode we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another interview on the Diecast Movie Podcast. I would like to let you guys know that after recording the episode and the interview, we found out that the release for Infantium, Subject Unknown, was going to be August 6th, 2021, and just wanted to include that in our interview for you. Have a great day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. Um, Today, we're doing an interview with two filmmakers from the United Kingdom, Tori and Matthew Butler-Hart. How are you guys doing today? We are very well, thank you. Very well. Thanks so much for having us on. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I recently saw one of your films, your latest film that came out this year, um, Infinitum, Subject Unknown. Yes, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it actually comes out um, well, later in America. So we had the little premiere, and then probably in the UK comes out um, on the 22nd of March. Um, and, yeah. and various other countries, and then America is later on. We think it's summer, but we haven't actually been given a date for that yet. So, what we'll do yeah. is we'll put this episode out when you forward me the date, and we'll try to match it up so that way, because eighty percent of our audience is the United States, but we do have some audience in yeah. the United Kingdom, Canada, and New Zealand. Sure. But at least it'll be already out there for them. Oh yeah, well, New Zealand it'll be out as of twenty yeah. second of March tomorrow as well. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. There's a friend of mine in New Zealand. I already told him about the film after I saw your premiere and, um, he's actually um, also a film critic. He does it in the paper there. So he's looking forward to it. Oh, oh great. No, fantastic. fantastic. Oh, well, yeah, hopefully he will be, yeah, be able to see, see it tomorrow, as of tomorrow. Yeah. Fingers crossing like. Everybody crossing their fingers. Hopefully everything works well, but we'll talk more about that wonderful film later. But what I'm curious is, um, what led you both to go into um, acting and um, directing and that kind of stuff? What in your childhoods, you know, growing up, what was it that drove you to? Was it a particular movie or a play or something like that? Well, you, um, do you want to kick off because sure, you, you yeah. started off as an actor yeah, and so, then moved into directing? Yes, I mean, I, I've uh, so I grew up in you know small towns around the UK. Always, you know, not very much to do, especially in the eighties and nineties. So we would, uh, I mean, my friends actually started with my brothers, who and one is now a writer, one's an actor as well. We would just make little plays, and like lots of people did. And then as I got older, we did sketches, and then we would in my teens we had uh, well, my friend's uncle. Had a really, really old video camera, ones where you put the actual, you know, the old VHS tapes sort of in and you would di- record directly to it. We had no idea about editing and things, so we would edit in camera. We'd kind of go, okay, so this is your bit, turn the camera around, this is my bit. Um, so we were playing around for years, this was about sort of 14 or 15. And then we, I ended up um, training as an actor. I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I just would like telling stories, but we would do all of it, you know, so we would write it and I suppose produce it up to a point and direct it and be in it. 
And then someone said, well, you can go and train to be an actor. Um, so then I went down to London um, to a place called Rose Bruford's, where uh, my hero, Gary Oldman, trained as well. Uh, he's basically the reason I went. Um, and then so I trained an actor for three years, but was all, you know, I was always still writing and making things. Um, and I, I, yeah, so I acted uh, from sort of officially from sort of 2002 to about 2013. But the last few years before that, I was getting more and more into the directing side. I realized I love telling stories, um, but I just wanted to, to be involved in every aspect, I suppose. Um, just like, you know, it's like, I been, not, not in a greedy way, I hope, but just I enjoyed, you know, from the script level all the way to post-production and, and getting it out into the world. I just enjoyed that side of it. Um, so that side just took over more and more. And I just, I stopped, uh, stopped the acting just to concentrate on the directing. But we did a lot of theatre together. Yeah. Actually, well, then maybe you take over. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. well, um, so I sort of started, um, um, acting at school and um, loved it and kind of um, I actually first of all kind of thought that I was going to be a dancer and kind of um, spent quite a long time training in classical ballet and I was kind of going down that route um, very much and then uh, got bitten by the acting bug and that kind of took over basically um, and I think also there was always that sort of in the back of my mind that you know dancers have a relatively short career whereas acting you know, I can keep plugging at it for, <laughs> for years and years that, that to come. You drop, basically. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. So, um, so I went to Central School of Speech and Drama, which is in London, um, trained for three years um, there. And then uh, after I left, um, I, I started a, a film, a, a theatre production company, um, which was actually my dad's idea. Um, he was, he kind of, because there was a load of us that graduated and, you know, some of us weren't straight into the massive jobs and we were kind of, you know, picking up little bits here and there. Um, and it was his idea to, you know, why don't you form um, a kind of a theatre company and do out, outdoor productions of um, 18th century plays because he was really big on 18th century stuff. Incredibly sort of uh, niche. Yeah. <laughs> um, very small sort of uh, audience, I suppose. I guess, yeah, because obviously you get a lot of Shakespeare in the UK and a lot of kind of open-air Shakespeare stuff, but there's this sort of wealth and body of work um, that is in the 17th and 18th century, all that kind of restoration um, drama and uh, things like The Rivals, and which was actually the first one that we, Sheridan's The Rivals, that we, we put on. Um, and Matt came and auditioned for one of the roles in the play. Um, I just, and I, I know it's always going to say this, but I didn't get the role at first. <laughs> <laughs> so we were on the audition panel and I didn't get it. We might have given the role to someone else because one of the other actresses fancied the other bloke. So very, very it was very professional. Very professional. Yeah. Um, and so but then he ended up getting um, a bigger job, basically, <laughs> that paid more. Um, and so I had to kind of sheepishly call Matt up and say, um, yeah, you know, we said that we were going to pass. Um, is there any chance that you might still want to do the play? Uh, because the role has become available again and we'd absolutely love for you to do it. Um, and he, bless him being the wonderful, um, generous, kind man that he is, said, yes, of course, I would love to. And I was unemployed as an actor at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> Rather than how dare you. Um, so, yes, and that's but I, how I we met. I loved theatre as well at that point. And, you know, I sort of, I, as an actor, you know, theatre is, it's just you know, in front of a live audience and it's just such a different sort of feeling. So yeah. um, that's, you know, as an actor, I've always enjoyed theatre. I think more than I enjoyed watching it. To be and I, I guess that sort of 
where because you started directing for us. Yeah, so the next play I directed. And yeah, and I think that's where we sort of really started to I, figure out a kind of like how well we could work together, hmm. um, and and be sort of like what else would would be of of kind of of interest to us. And because, and it was actually during a play that you had the idea to write a short film because we were all dressed up in these kind of 18th century costumes with the big wigs and the amazing, you know, makeup and corsets and the lace and everything else. Um, And it was pouring down with rain because in the UK, it literally pours down with rain all the time. So, I mean, open air theatre is pretty much the worst idea you could have. Um, so, Lots of fun, though. You know, bear in mind, this was like middle of August, still pouring down with rain. Um, and uh, and you had this idea, as we were all kind of like dripping and the makeup was kind of running down our faces, you had this idea that we, that we could write, we would all be zombies in period costumes. Um, and that's where the idea of our first short film came from, which is called Igad Zombies. Um, and Ian McKellen um, agreed to be in it. So we, and I think we actually mentioned it maybe um, the other day on the uh, in the screening of the Q and A. He wakes up at the yeah. end of um, the film as if it was all a horrible dream, and he's in bed, uh, and then next to him rising out of the bed comes this zombie um so yeah so that's yeah, kind of like 20, 20 minute sort of epic absolutely ridiculous short film but that was the, totally sort of the first ridiculous. thing that we, we did and we didn't you know, i made short films before and i think when we were still together well, I, produ- I just produced a, a feature film as well when, whilst we were doing that play but i still didn't really know what i was doing to be perfectly honest you know i trained as an actor with very little um sort of you know technical knowledge so we were really making things up as we went along mm. um you know it's sort of friends uh, you know favors from friends and, and crew that i sort of picked up along the way as an actor as well um, which was incredibly handy actually sort of you know finding um you know cinematographers and sound people and editors yeah. along the way and just sort of I'd, I'd always been interested in the process of putting a film together so i would be that slightly annoying actor who wouldn't go back to his trailer would just sort of hang around and you know, ask questions. Ask loads of questions. Ask loads of questions. Like, yeah. so why are you using that lens? Okay, so what is an MD filter exactly? Um, that sort of stuff. And just slowly collect people, which is really, really handy. You know, surround yourself with people who are better at things than you is always them. Um, and which is lovely because we've actually kept um, mm. in touch with all of those people. Yeah. And our editor, Will, you started working with, I mean, how many years ago now? Like 2004, I think. Yeah, so... So he, yeah, he made his own feature film and realised he enjoyed the editing side of it more, so hasn't directed since. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so from that first short film, uh, Tom Kane, that was when we met our composer, so he's composed every film, including Infinite and the one some we've just finished as well. So yeah, it's, it's and that was, that was 2009, I think we did that. Mm. Yeah, so it's been a fun little journey for us all. Yeah, I was, I was wondering, how in the world did you guys get Ian McCallum, because to do EGAD zombies. Cause I remember him in the Q and a session and, um, with the premiere, he says, yes, they came into my house. They used, they took yeah. over my guest room and they put me in bed with another man. And it was just, uh, you could just, he was just loving it. And, it, and I know you could just tell by his expression. I mean, even though it was, he was the narrator in that end scene, he just enjoyed doing and working with you. And obviously he worked with you guys again in infinitum and, um, and things like that but how did you and i think he's done other things with you both hasn't he 
Yeah. yeah. So I, w- I so when I left John's school, I um, moved to a part of, um, well, I was living in a part of um, London, which, and I just happened to be just around the corner from where Ian lived. So I would, as a young actor, sort of 22, 23, would just kept bumping into him. And this went on for, you know, a few, few months, going, oh, hello, you know, and then he, and then I'm actually trying to remember this when, especially we were talking about things recently. He, uh, very, very, very last minute had to quickly go and learn a poem for when we were, um, so when the UK was bidding for the 2012 Olympics. So this is sort of 2004 or something. And he said, I've got an hour to go and learn this poem. So he got, he got in touch with me through my agent. So can you just come around and just help me learn this poem? And then we can, you know, I'll take you to the party and afterwards, you know, we can go and meet all these uh, athletes and things like that. Okay, this is a great idea. And then we sort of did more and more of that. So then I started reading scripts for him as well. And then I ended up being his um, assistant on the Da Vinci Code because once again, they changed his dates. He thought he had two weeks to go off and learn his lines in the south of France with Liam Neeson, which sounds great. Um, Very nice. And then they said, well, no, because of the rain, we've got, we start filming tomorrow. So he said, he phoned me up at three in the morning and said, uh, I hope you haven't got a job at the moment. Can you just come and basically sit behind me in scenes and in my trailer and just make me learn my lines? Like, well, I did have a job, but I'm absolutely going to be doing this. Um, so I just did that for a few months. So, and again, I was just collecting people on set and things as well. So I've known him for a while, um, to be honest. And then when we started doing more of, of the films, he, he's, he's a huge, huge champion of people um, doing things for themselves, um, if that makes sense, rather than just sort of waiting for things. So, I was about to use the word young. I was young then, but not quite so young now. Uh, but, you know, younger people sort of just getting up and doing something. So, you know, and especially slightly weird and strange things. I mean, instead of about infinitum, he said, you know, read the script and I don't understand this. So I really want to be part of it. Um, you know, so it's something different. Mm. Like, same with, you know, Gad Zombies. Okay, it's an 18th century zombie comedy. Like, okay, I'll go and be part of that. That's, you know, that's interesting. That's fun. So. Yeah. And actually, that's how I met Ian first as well, mm, because he course. was supporting a friend of mine from drama school, who Pete Hinton, who wrote um, a TV pilot. And again, I think Pete had been in the RSC. He was with, in King Lear yeah, with Ian. Yeah, in King Lear with Ian. And um, and again, he, you know, Pete sort of approached him and said, um, I've written this pilot. Uh, there is a role I would absolutely love it if you. And he got loads of people. He got. Uh, I think because if you chatted to so Sylvester McCoy, did you chat to Sylvester McCoy? Did I? Did I make? Yes, that yes, I did. I, t- I interviewed Sylvester um, at the end of last year. Yeah. Right. So, so Sylvester, Sylvester was, was in, in this TV. Well, he was in the pilot. Yeah. In the pilot. You're talking yeah, about the so, academy, right? Yes. Yes. So I was in the academy with those guys as well. So that's how I sort of first. Um, met Ian and then obviously and then I remember because I, I was so Ian's incredibly um, <laughs> you know supportive again and so there's a, a period when I I think I'd been doing a job and then I'd come back to London didn't have anywhere to live he said well I've got spare room things come and stay there so he showed me the academy said oh so I've done this thing come and have a look see what you know what you think I was like oh I know <laughs> well that's Tori I'm doing a play with Tori <laughs> as we speak and things. Yeah. small world yeah. yeah it sounds like a lot of things are meant to be but um, you since you brought up Sylvester McCoy, what was it like working with um, Mr. McCoy? Oh, I mean, I was so it was so long ago to be honest, um, and <laughs> and really quite brief. I think I maybe had He's a lovely one man, scene with him, one or two scenes with him. Um, he was really lovely, yeah, really, really lovely, and a lot of fun. I remember he was, yeah, he was kind of always playing, and you know, and very kind of 
playful and creative. And um, and for a lot of us, you know, like we were sort of, it was about a drama school and we were pretty much just out of drama school almost. You must have been. Yeah. So, um, so you know, to just the opportunity to work with, all, and Frankie Barber was in it as well. You know, all these amazing people. Um, it was, yeah, it was definitely sort of Jonathan like... Jonathan Hyde in it. Yes, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. Yeah. Pete, yeah, I mean, he got a fantastic cast yeah. together. Um, but it was some kind of fathom of parts because you know, your job pretty much on screen. I think I did one other pilot or something before that for BBC. But yeah, it was like other than that. And then you were suddenly surrounded by all of these kind of, you know, mega, mega uh, names. It wasn't the whole thing that you were having to audition all this drama school. Yeah. So you were basically auditioning in front of all these acting legends as yeah. well, which sounds terrifying it was, even, it was even now, yeah. <laughs> when you're just sort of 22 or 23. Yeah. It's awful like getting thrown into the deep end of the pool and having this, it's like, okay, go swim. And here you have all these, you know, legends. And as you said in there, I think, what was the premise right. of the show was Ian McKellen's brother runs the Dharma school and Ian McKellen's not going to run it anymore and, or pay him anymore. Yeah, pay him Murray anymore. Murray, yeah, so he actually took, because Ian's middle name Murray, is yeah. Murray. So um, it, Pete just took his middle name and created this twin brother that was oh, yeah, Murray Ian, McKellen. Ian was the famous brother that no one was allowed to talk about. Yes, <laughs> don't mention Shadow, Ian yeah. McKellen because Murray is his yeah. name. <laughs> It's brilliant yeah. idea, and um, yeah, I wish it had gone to some. It was just yeah, it was, and Pete put a lot of work into yeah. that show. It was yeah, it was brilliant. Sylvester McCoy. I growing up, he was my Doctor Who as well, so I was really excited to even just briefly meet him. <laughs> oh, that's that's why I loved when I got to um, interview him. It was just like oh, I'm interviewing one of the doctors, and um, of course, being in the United States, I didn't get to see a lot of his work until later on. Because the, the right. stations here, all they kept re-showing was um, Tom Baker, who I love also. But it was like, as soon as Tom Baker's series would end, they would go right back to the beginning. And it, just, it, just, it was like an endless, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> endless loop. Well, yeah. Yeah. But no, but he, he's my actually, Tom Baker. Tom Baker, did yeah. he? He went to, well, to Rodriguez, and yeah. he's the one doctor that I've worked with. Exactly. There you go. Again. More, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you both worked with Tom Baker? Oh no, he just went to my drama school, so I, I didn't work with him. Oh, oh no, because you did a Doctor Who radio. I did Doctor Who radio, with yeah, with yeah. Yeah. he was he was the Doctor, yeah. That was very cool. It was cool. It yeah. was very cool. Well, do you remember which one it was? What episode? It was? Like what? Um, for, what, that would be. Um, oh, what is the name of the company? We haven't got the best memory for these things. I'm not. Just, <laughs> I think gone very quiet. I know. I'm just. <laughs> Maybe there's someone listening that can like let me know which, which one it was. Yeah. Uh, there's there's one friend of mine who's a huge Doctor Who fan who knows you know, he'll start rattling off, rattling off all these different minor details. And I'm thinking, do you watch anything else? You know, or is that, is that <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of them. That's going to keep you going. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's only been around for what, over 50 years. So it's not like there's a, yeah. an episode or two. Yeah. Actually, if we staying on this weird doctor who line that we're on, we, uh, we live in a place called Crouch End in North London. We have two of the doctors, the most recent doctors living here as well. Yeah. Oh, and 
Jodie Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker, yeah, they both yeah. live in, in Crouch End. Yeah, sorry if we've just outed them where they live. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think people know that. Yeah. It's North, North London, there we go. Well, it, it, my my group, they're not going to know where, it, you know, they'll be looking at a map. Okay, like, exactly. oh, where are they? You know, it, it, it's most of our audience is in the United States. So they're, you know, it's they're going to have trouble figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People in England can't find Crouch End, so, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> If that's the case, then they have nothing to worry about for my group. You know, my, my <laughs> um, but one thing, before we get too much more into your movies, is there a particular movie that either one of you saw when you were growing up that you, was like one of your favorites like in, and stuff like that? Great question. I love that question. You, Yeah, your dad like sat you down from a really early age, didn't he? And kind of like... Yeah, he was... He, cause I had very young parents. So, um, so sort of mum would go out with their friends and my dad, he was probably about 23 or 24 or something at the time. I was, oh, well, maybe he's younger, but older when obviously I got older. But, um, we would, yeah, we would watch all sorts of sort of hammer horror films, but a lot of, um, sci-fi to be honest. You know, I was watching things like, um, you know, Blade Runner and 2001 Space Odyssey from a very, very young age when I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, but yeah, so it's between a lot of genre stuff. My dad was um, very much into those things and a lot of, um, uh, all that, you know, all the, this is, uh, Harry, oh God, um, <gasps> we did all the sin bad things and, um, who's the chap? Ray Harryhausen. Ah, thank you so much. Yes. Ray hey. I would have been a crime to forget. Yes. Um, yes, we watched a lot, a lot of that sort of stuff when I was younger. So, we, um, not really a lot of sort of, um, typically kids, kid friendly films. So I think that, that sort of stuff really, um, sort of got me going, I think on the story, you know, all the, all the epic story things, you know, Greek stories and sci-fis and that sort of stuff. So mm. never really one film, but sort of an idea of big, you know, adventures and, and big um, epic so you uh, like, canvases, I suppose. So you like um, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger and the Golden Voyage of Sinbad? Yeah. Yeah, I loved all those. I haven't seen them for a long time, but yeah. Oh, I know. I love them too. And um, of course, one of them, Tom Baker, is the villain, the, the evil magician. Oh, I need to revisit those. There we go. Yeah, I haven't seen them for a long time, but yeah. Oh, you oh, should. Wow, and yeah. you should. And there's one actor who's in both. There's actually a couple actors, but one actor in particular that's in both of them. It's Kirk Christian. In um, the first one, he's the um, the comic relief, the 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 playboy type who's drinking. His dad sends him out on the, the Sinbad to grow up, yeah. so to speak. And the other one, he's the villain. Yeah. Oh, they were such good films. <laughs> it always used to seem to be on the sort of a Sunday afternoon. So that was the thing that we used to do with my dad. Actually, and watch those. Yeah, Sunday afternoons are great. Yeah. yeah, so that was my uh, my my film training, I suppose. I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, I guess for me, um, it, like a, a lot of the sort of, I guess because I was because I was um, a dancer as well. So I used to love all of the sort of old Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, you know, all of those stuff. Um, but then I think, I think the sort of one that really sticks in my mind um, is uh, the English patient, because I just remember so vividly the first time I watched that scene when the um, airplane is flying over the desert and just the shadow, the shadow of it. Yeah. It's just such beautiful cinematography and that image just kind of really captured me and captivated me so yeah i think that's the one that kind of really really sticks in my mind and then um four weddings and a funeral because <laughs> i remember probably being far too young the first time i actually watched that not knowing what half of the words references were Brilliant. so thinking it was absolutely hilarious and then to this day i think i can pretty much recite it word for word 
It's still very funny as well. And still very funny. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. You, you think we've moved on in the UK, but you go, you know, go to weddings in the summer. It's like, oh, no, it's still. It's exactly the same. <laughs> we are okay. in for weddings and funerals. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting because, you know, in the United States, you always wonder, it's like, are they really, is, is the people in the United Kingdom really like that or not? So it, it, it's nice to know that they, they hit a lot of, they hit a lot of um, truisms, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not for the, yeah, maybe, unfortunately, maybe, but yeah, yeah there's, there's those people you go, oh yeah, that's them. That's them. Yeah. Especially you go to a wedding, you can almost sort of point out the people like, okay, those are people going to pick up a guitar at some point. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's pretty wild. And, uh, one of the movies I wanted to talk to you guys about that you both did together is two down and which is available on Amazon mm-hmm. prime. And I, I was watching, I watched it yesterday for the first time and, um, oh, wow. yeah, it was very enjoyable. It was, um, it, it, it's interesting how the whole concept and uh, I didn't know, I'll let you guys talk about it, but it was just, um, I thought it was a fun little oh, well, thank you. hit the hitman mystery, you know, concept going on. Yeah, it was sort of it was sort of our, our second project, but it was the first one that we sort of considered that because we we wrote it ourselves because we'd done one before, Missing Her Teens, which is, was an adaptation of an 18th century film um, uh, play. Sorry, so this was it was kind of our calling card, so uber low budget, um, uh, and it, it started off as we had an idea for a character for for John Thomas the character. And, and it was just going to be, uh, I think, two or maybe three people in one location. That was the original idea. And then as we wrote um, the, 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 the character, who's basically you know, a hitman, um, it starts off and there's a hit's gone wrong. He gets shot um, in the back and then goes to a safe house, what he thinks is a safe house, and real, but it's been um, taken over. And there's, a, there's a woman now living there. Um, he sort of takes her hostage um, and they, we start to learn sort of what happened. And then we... And then the, the takeaway delivery guy turns up. So there's the three of them. So he sort of takes them all hostage. And they start to um, slowly piece together. They realize that he's actually been set up and something's gone wrong. Um, but because the characters that we wrote were sort of too big for just one location, um, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. It's still a really small little film. But um, I think we ended up with sort of 22 locations. We shot it in about 12 days. Yeah, it was crazy. Because we had such little money, um, we, were, we were like, right, okay. You know, very small cast, very few locations. That's how we'll keep the budget down. Um, And we still did because we kept all of those 22 locations within like a two-mile radius of our house. So that was the unit base, our house. And then like we just kind of nip out and shoot the scenes from there. There was one that was further away with so Connor Hill, who's in uh, in the as well. Um, he well, there's a few scenes that made it look like it, it was all in one location to make it look like it was five, and that was actually Ian McKellen's pub down in um, in Limehouse in, in South London as well. So, so yeah. again, he he did a yeah. favour for yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for us by giving giving us his pub to shoot in. Um, um, yeah, so it was we sort of I think it's kind of one of those projects that we're really proud of because it was our our first sort of I guess you know completely original. Um, one and it and it did really great things for us. It sort of it did loads and loads of festivals around the world. I mean, it, it's oddball. It's kind of got that it's a dark humour, exactly. Dark humour. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's perhaps not for everyone. Um, and it, you know, it isn't about an aspergic hitman. Um, and so 
um, and then it, it sort of did very, very well on the theater, on the um, festival circuit. And then um, it, because of that, it was then screened at the BFI um, as part of like sort of UK coming. I can't remember what they call um, it. So yeah, the BFI is sort of, uh, it's like sort of the, the, the UK's so the UK's kind of like hub of film. So like they they run the London Film Festival and it's in the South Bank of London. So um, so for us, and this tiny little film to be screened there, even not it was on a you know a Tuesday afternoon, um, yeah. was fantastic. But that attracted quite a lot of people to come along. They had good reviews and won lots of awards and things. Um, so yeah, we had quite a lot of people, including finance people, come along, which was so it did exactly what we wanted it to. It sort of got the attention of people who had more money, and then especially so we went and had a meeting, and then when they found out how much we actually made it for, they were like, "Oh, okay, so if you can do that for that much, what else have you got? Let's let's pump the budget up and let's let's move on from there." So yeah, we're we're really proud of this now. I think script wise, I think I mean because we also met, we think we shot this at the end of 2013, so it didn't come out in the UK until the beginning of 2018, mm-hmm. I think. So it was quite a long time from um, from finishing it. Yeah, and it. Yeah. yeah, because it, cause a sales company took it on originally. And then and we we, we, uh, we really wanted to do festivals because it was really important. You know, it's very important for filmmakers to do festivals. It's a great way to kind of build your network and that sort of stuff and meet mm. people um, and just get your name out there. And then they wanted to sell it. And then we ended up parting ways with them. And then we went, okay, we're going to spend a year and a half just blasting festivals. And then that got a bigger sales company on board, and then they were able to sell it and things. So yeah, it was a, it, that was a long, it was a long journey. journey for that. Yeah, yeah. And by then, we'd already made another film anyway before that. Before the first one had even sort of come out. Yeah. Yeah, I love going to festivals. Um, there's one that's in our area. It's gonna. It's called the Annapolis Film Festival. So it's about 45 minutes from my house, and you get to go there for like four days, and you have the shorts, the feature links, the documentaries and all that stuff. And yeah. it's such a hodgepodge. You get the, you get to watch. I mean, I think I, if you had the, all the shorts in and all the stuff, I think in the four days, I usually will get like 30 to 40 movies in and Amazing. Yeah, which, which blows your mind. But you, you know, some of them are six minutes long. Some of them, you know, are, are two hours, it all depends. And I, it's just, it's just wonderful when you get to see that like, eclectic group. So I think that festivals, that's where it's nice. And then you get the, I think the one everybody always wants to get is the audience vote besides, you know, the critical yeah, one. Cause then, yeah. you know, then you know, you're hitting the people that are going to buy the ticket. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it's, they're so important, the festivals, because it's, you can, it's where you can kind of access some real gems that would not necessarily have ever come onto your radar because, you know, not everything gets distribution, unfortunately. Yeah, very you know, sadly, so, a lot of films like that kind of the end of the road. Yeah, the yeah, and some of you know you can find some brilliant stuff, um, but you know it's just sort of yeah, unfortunately, kind of just gets kind of kind yeah. of swept under the carpet a bit. Um, so yeah, um, it's it's been a, it's been a funny year, hasn't it? Because obviously, all the festivals have been have made that transition online, and I think it's been sort of brilliant in some ways, um, but I think. I think from the people that we've spoken to, um, I think people have sort of missed that connection that you get the, the, uh, the ability that, you know, to just meet the filmmakers and, you know, which is not an opportunity that you, that you would not necessarily yeah, just build, have. Building up your little group of, you know, of, of people, you know, filmmakers tend to support other filmmakers. So, okay, you'll help my film, I'll help yeah. your film and sort of slowly build, you know, you need that network and it's, you know, and obviously festivals have really tried to do that online, but it's 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 definitely a very different sort of 
by you know, sitting on, on Zoom and going around those little tables and trying to meet people rather than, you know. Rather than yeah. just being in, yeah, face-to-face. You can't yeah. really. But, you know, it's great that they have to carry Absolutely, on. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you because they, they did it virtual this last year and it's not the same because now you're at home and you're like, oh, I don't feel like watching them. You know, like you look at the selections where, where if you were there, you, you're like, oh, I'm going to go see this and this. And you feel more compelled to see things that you might not normally want to see where you're, when you're at home, yeah, you, right. you're a little more choosy because now you have all your normal options. I think it's when you make the trip, exactly. you force yourself to see different things that you would not normally and get, and get that experience. And so from the audience and also you're with the audience and yeah. which is priceless. Oh, well, it's such absolutely. a good that's such a and good test, isn't it, of a film? For a no, filmmaker, okay, so has that hit or not? Like, actually, with yeah. two down, I think the first sort of little joke comes in. It's about thirteen minutes in, so until then, you're thinking you're sort of watching something, and it's either it's quite a strange one, and it's not like a kind of sort of joke. You're like, oh, hang on, is he just? Oh, he's quite strange. And audiences, if if they get that first one, then they're like, oh, this isn't actually what I thought it was. It's mm. kind of stranger than that. Isn't it? funnier and then so to be in an audience and to hear them a few people start to laugh and other people go oh, I oh, I oh okay yeah 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 and, then, and that really you know yeah it's really good to, and, to know if you've got it or not and as, as a filmmaker it's fascinating to kind of be sitting there with the audience especially the first time that you, you you're witnessing your film played to an audience and when the laugh comes it's like half of the time you're like, what? Whoa, that's funny. Oh, I don't think, you know, like there are those moments that you didn't even realize yeah. um, are funny. Or scary on the, on the last film, the aisle, things that you know, didn't know if they were yeah. going to be creepy or not. Or, yeah. yeah. Which would be weird for Infinitum. I mean, we were meant to have, in the UK, we were meant to have a cinema run happening sort of, you know, the beginning of March leading up to you know, the release on the 22nd. Um, and that obviously hasn't happened, which is why we did the online premiere so we could try and have a bit of an event to get people talking about things. Um, so that's been really strange to know, you know, how people are going to react to it. Because, you know, no film is ever going to please everyone. But, you know, so, and we always have, you know, we have audiences um, on all our films that are kind of like, we absolutely love this film. There's other people going, I just don't get that at all. But fair enough. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's hard to sort of, um, yeah. To, to see who those people will be this time. To judge, yeah, to judge. Yeah. Wow. It does make it hard when you don't get to see, because we're all watching your work and you, you, you don't get to see our reactions at all. And, you know, and, and then, and then again, when you're by yourself, you're less likely to laugh out loud where everybody, where, where all of a sudden when you're group, mm-hmm. group every, so everybody starts to laugh and then you get more of a definite reaction of what's going on or right. like they're scared or shocked or, or like, whoa, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it becomes infectious, isn't it? Yeah. And it kind of trickles around the audience. That yeah, shared yeah. experience of sort of being scared or, or, or anxious about it. Yeah, just that's, that's, that's the thrill of cinema, isn't it? That's why totally. it's never going to go away because people want that feeling of like, oh, oh, you're scared as well. Okay, right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I can be as well. Or, yeah. or if it's something that... Um, that's something that they're making a joke of that for some people might think, Oh, they're touching the boundary there. And if everybody else yeah. is laughing, it goes, all oh, must be okay. Cause everybody else is laughing. And then you, and you feel a little more like, Oh, I'm, I'm not a crazy person or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Now after, you, when, how, by the way, how did you get call of Hill to do two down? I mean, cause you know, varies from a game of Thrones. I mean, and he's been in a lot of your other films and also infinitum and, um, and things like that. How, how in the world did you land him to do roles uh, for you? 
Yeah, we were very lucky. So that was, so, so 2013 was Michael's last proper acting year. And I did a couple of plays and, and one of them was, um, you know, I had a really small involvement in that. But it's called uh, Quartermain's Terms. So Richard Eyre um, directed it. Uh, and Rowan Atkinson was the lead and, and Connor Hill um, was, was obviously one of the leads as well. And we just sort of got on really well. And that was a time that we were writing two down. So, and obviously I was at the theatre a lot, so I would be writing a scene, Tor would be writing a scene. We'd send it over to each other. And Connor was like, oh, you know, sort, of, sort of jokingly going, oh, is there a part for me? And we're like, I mean, they, they can be if you're actually serious. He's like, well, you know, we've done things before. So we sent him some of our short films. They went, okay, well, you can you can make you can make stuff. You know, if you get if this goes you know goes and you get the money for it, then I'll I'll absolutely do it. And obviously that helps to go um, and and you know get some of the money, which is fantastic. Yeah. And he sort of really likes the way that we shoot things because you know we're indie filmmakers, so it's usually pretty quick. It's kind of a little bit experimental. We don't spend the whole day on one scene. You know, we'll probably got through a couple of scenes before lunch um, realistically you know and I, I enjoy that as a filmmaker and and you know so, so certain actors respond to that like kind of quick quick sort of like you've got to be absolutely in the moment you know and we're not going to spend three hours on one close-up and he really likes that especially you know Game of Thrones where you'd spend days on the same scene and you know and Varys a lot of the time wouldn't say anything you know and he, which <laughs> Connor's really likes and he likes kind of visual acting visual storytelling acting but, you know, he did say sometimes you just be standing there for days not doing anything. Um, so they said, well, if that's the way you work, then let's do other things, you know. So and so it's great. So whenever we do a film, so far anyway, yeah. he's always said, well, you know, it's a part for me. And we're never going to say no to Connor. Yeah. I he's, mean, will he even agree to come up to a remote Scottish island with no roads? And, yeah. For the aisle. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And agree to kind of walk. <laughs> to set carrying yeah, all of no these yeah. and yeah 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 we were very lucky with yeah sort of finding actors who enjoy the way we do things a little yeah. bit sort of rough and ready and <laughs> down to earth yeah yeah exactly, yeah so that's that's actually where I was going to be headed into was the aisle because here you go from two two down which is kind of a more of a contemporary um like we said contract killer type concept thing and then you go to the aisle yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is something yeah. totally a little different. different. Little different. <laughs> so that came about. So we we mentioned that the um, finance people watched two down at the BFI. They brought us in for a meeting, and um, I guess the people um, listening, they'll recognise this. I'm sure when you go to pitch uh, the film that you think you're pitching, and then actually you end up pitching a totally different film because they're not interested. Yeah, they go, oh, great! What else have you got? Yeah. <laughs> When we first when we first started, we'd go, oh, we haven't. Well, this is the film we've come to. This pitch. is our but one film. By what? then, we'd learned. Well, we've also got this. We've got yeah. This. So, um, so the aisle actually came about. We'd only just started um, writing it, really, when we had the meeting with the finance guys. Um, but it came about because one of the sparks that worked, one of the electricians that worked on um, Two Down. Uh, came to us and he said, um, so my, my family have an island. Um, we own an island in Scotland. We've always wanted to shoot a film there. Um, and we were like... Well, we were sort of imagining like they've got sort of a large pond, pond or something and there's this little island in the middle and maybe we can go and do a short, short film. film or something. And then we sort of looked at that and went, oh, this is an actual island okay. off the west coast of Scotland with forests and deer and yeah. all kinds of crazy things. Um, and so we did, we went up and we had the recce and it's just the most 
stunning, stunning, beautiful place. I mean, it honestly feels like you are stepping back in time. There are no roads. You have to access the island by boat. Um, and once you get there, you are walking everywhere. That's, you know, it or little kind of um, quads. Quad. Um, so, so we started to kind of delve into the history of the island. And there was once a thriving community that lived there. And there was a school. And um, when the famine happened, everyone basically abandoned the island. And, and we, the further we kind of delved into it, um, we then found out that um, someone had actually been killed on the island. All killed from out and brought or, to the island. Or there was no a body that was found was. and no one knew who she was. And bear in mind, there were only about 10 or 12 houses on the, on the whole island. You know, the, the, the community, obviously, they knew, they yeah. knew each other. So that just, I mean, this for us... the 18th us, century, or well, the 1800s, sorry. 1800s, yeah. yeah so, so for us, that's just kind of like, that was just sort of, you know, gold dust. It was like, great, okay, we can run with this. So ghost story, Victorian times, remote Scottish island, done. Um, so that sort of, so we just started writing the script when we went in to pitch a completely different movie, which is um, a, a comedy heist film with drag queens. And the guys were like, uh, okay, yeah, sounds good, sounds great, but we're kind of wanting horror at the moment. Well, was it anything genre? Or genre. genre films sell, yeah, they're much easier to sell. Yeah. Um, although we went slightly arty with ours. Um, yeah, so we, 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 we only, I think we were only on about draft four. Yeah. And, but it, because these finance companies, a lot of them work to do with like tax things and things like that, they said, okay, so if you can film by this, Point, End of the tax year. And we will yep. give you the money to do it. But we hadn't finished the scripts. Um, we didn't really have the cast properly. We'd, we'd written some parts of people that we, you know, we always sort of do that. Um, so as a, as a manic scramble, we had a few weeks to um, to run around, finish skits, get everyone on board. Oh, that's it. They said, um, they said, okay, we'll give you the money, but Connor Till has to be in it because he's in two down. Yeah. And also Alex Hassel. Um, you know, he's now off doing huge Netflix shows and things like that. Um, so if you get those two people, then we'll give you the money. Connors was about to go back to Game film of Game of Thrones. So we had uh, a few weeks. That's right. Was. Alex was on one. He was doing Suburbicon. With George Clooney. With George Clooney. And uh, Connors was about to go and do Game of Thrones. So we, we literally had this kind of like eight-week window or something. And we had to do like... Get it shot and all and the press. It was less than that. We had, I think we had about oh yeah no. So we had three no, weeks prep. of prep and then yeah. four weeks of filming. So we and we were still writing as we were signing contracts and trying to find actors and crew and can we actually film on this island that film four had been up to the BBC and said this is impossible to film on. It's beautiful, but we can't film on it. It was um, mental um, because because also because. It, you, everyone had to be housed on the island as well. So there were only so many number of bedrooms, which then dictated how many crew we could have. So, because everyone had to, once you were up there, that was it. And actors as well. You're not getting off that. We can't have a huge, we we had maybe 10 actors, there's flashbacks and things, but there's not not a lot of actors. And then maybe, what did we have, like 20 crew? No, not even that. Well, maybe, yeah. So not a lot of people. It's a fairly big scope sort of film, you know, Costumes and, and boats, sinking boats, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah maybe it was maybe it was just thirty people altogether. I think, so, yeah. I think, yeah. But still pretty small. But it was pretty small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can just imagine it. Like, you're, so they sign up. Like, okay, we're going to do this film, and now you're going to be here for this amount of time. You're not getting off the island. It's almost like it's almost like a real life episode of Lost. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know what? It was so lovely because everyone, there was this real sense of kind of um, community and camaraderie that came with it. And, and actually still people say to us, it's the best job that they've ever worked on because like everyone had to muck in, you know, there was kind of gone with this, this sort of hierarchy that comes so often with filmmaking. It was literally like, you know, some, everyone kind of, we had my dad up there cooking for us, but then, you know, we were giving him nights off. So there was sort of, you know, some nights that actors cooked, some nights that um, crew cooked. So it was, yeah, it was all kind of like we were all mucking in together. Yeah. And there was, so there was very little sort of, there was almost no Wi-Fi. Very little sort of um, phone signal, so there's no television either. So it was every night people were just playing chess and just chatting yeah. and things, and it was yeah, it was like this kind of crazy. Well, we felt like we were living in the 1800s, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. we did. We we have made sure there was a, a very stocked cellar though, so people <laughs> didn't yeah. go thirsty. That was uh, that was we realised that was a quite a. We kept them well fed and well. Not much they were working, of course, but um, yeah, we did our best. Yeah, as long, as long as nobody's hungry or thirsty, or, or they're able to indulge, they're, able, they're they're probably like, oh, I can deal with this. It's probably their kind of camping, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have lovely houses to, to oh, sleep yeah. in. Oh, they're very nice. But um, you can go there on holiday. Actually, it's Kate Winslet's favourite place. Apparently, mm-hmm. we, we read recently in one of an article she wrote about it. Yeah. Have you ever up in the west coast of Scotland? Eileen Shona. Eileen Shona. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. And you can you can also say I was at the I was I stayed at the place where they filmed the Isle. Now, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I think they sell DVDs up there as well. Now. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> yeah, you have to bring you have to bring your own DVD player, you know, and all that stuff because you're not going to get Wi-Fi. Right, exactly. Yeah, maybe a generator. Yeah, <laughs> and they can always get the aisle for your uh, fizz and ginger films buy thing, and then they'll have the the aisle on DVD, right? Yeah, and they said they said it's on DVD in America, and it's on, well, I mean, I don't know if, in 2019 it came out. It did like a little cinema um, release over. In the US beginning of 2019 and it was on Showtime for a year or two yeah I think it was on Showtime and for like, quite a while it's on all the platforms apparently yeah. well at least it was <laughs> like it's been thrown off but yeah well, most of the platforms over in the US it was it, it's on there yeah. yeah I think when I looked at it it's on Showtime still and, it, and it's also oh, okay. on Amazon for a $2 rental or you can buy oh, for like $10 or $9 something like that so if you want I'm, I'm kind of I like own the physical media because as you know rights disappear right. and then suddenly oh i bought this but no no you only bought the rights to utilize it why we have the rights you know yeah yeah but what what is the aisle about so people know what we're talking about we talked about the, the set how it got there what give them give them the um the pitch that this is the film they want to see especially if they like supernatural oh yeah, so, uh, oh God, can I even remember the pitch? But, um, <laughs> well, I'll give that. We've moved on now, that's the problem. Now I'm in for Free warning are like elevator pitches. Yeah, very long elevators. <laughs> huge buildings. Um, but so, yeah, so the island, um, it's a Victorian supernatural thriller set in 1847. Um, three sailors, uh, it was a, um, shipwreck. shipwreck, and three sailors managed to get to this island, um, where this very, very small community, um, Sort of welcome them in and keep promising that a boat back to the mainland will arrive to take them back. And then, as the days go on, they realise that something isn't quite right on the island. Um, strange things keep happening, but uh, we don't know if it's uh, in their heads or ours as the audiences. Are that you know there are spooky sort of goings on? And I can't really go much further because 
that will be a huge spoiler actually it's you know yeah. it's a classic sort of ghost story it's not it's not um it's not a gory horror at all it's a sort of slow slow burn sort of gothic old-fashioned ghost story to be honest so it's one of those creepy very slow burn creepy creepy mm. little stories of you know of old that they used to tell us of christmas eve ghost story type of thing and I, I for one like like movies that let the characters develop and gives you that slow burn, uh, which the seventies used to do a ton of. You know the, the, the movies. Well, uh, well they, yeah, that thing exactly. That, so so, we are big fans of kind of seventies films. Yeah, and that, so, that's the yeah. thing of, of allowing the actors and the, well, the characters to breathe and do a lot of the storytelling. Telling which, so yeah, so a lot of our films are fairly yeah. slow burn. Which yeah. well, actually the. Um, <laughs> Uh, so Two Down was kind of very much influenced by uh, the conversation. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola was. Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of yeah, because I, I loved a lot of the seventies stuff. So you know, you you know, allowing actors and scenes to sort of play out rather than yeah. kind of cut, 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 cut. And then the I guess the aisle was kind of likened to. Um, oh well, things like the Wicker, Wicker Man, Man and you know, Witchfinder in general. And yeah, does on Satan's Claw that so, sort of vibe. Again, exactly. <laughs> not as, I'm not saying I'm not comparing it to them. Those are, <laughs> those are masterpieces of cinema, but as in you know, that sort of <laughs> slow sort of uh, burn feel, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I hate it when people try to compare like one movie to another and that are totally that are similar but different, and and they'll try to say, oh, which one is better? I'm thinking, why can't we just like both? It's like the, it's like people that are right. Star Trek and Star Wars. They'll say, well, which one's better? It's like you know, <laughs> I, I really just enjoy both. I, I'm not picking. You know, it's like picking your children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a good story. It's a good story. Just you know, enjoy it. Exactly. In the conversation, of course. Um, what is um Gene Hackman movie? Right? Gene Hackman's the yeah. star. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Exactly. Yeah. I think Walter Murch edited it as well. Oh, it's, it's genius. It's, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant film. It's been a while since I've seen it, but now I haven't talked to you guys. I feel like I want to see it again, you know, because I mean, it's it's Gene Hackman in a movie. It, it, it's almost always good movie, you know. It's it's oh yeah, it's it's always. Good. I think that's, I think that's one of his best, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's one of those films that you either sort of really really like it though, I think, or or don't quite get on with it. Yeah, but yeah, I love it. So. All right, and that brings us to your current film. And uh, which which I saw, like I said, in the premiere, and got to um, and, and watch the Q and A with you and Sir Ian, and which led me to reach out to the both of you about coming on and doing an interview because I just said, oh, this is just this is just wonderful. It's science fiction. It's quantum physics. It's one of those mm-hmm. movies you have to watch more than once. And I've only able was able to see it once so far, you know, because I think when you see it a second time, you're able to with all the clues that you're given, and the first time you're able to figure out what's going on. Do I think I was pretty quick in figuring out what was happening? You know, what was going on in the movie? I'm trying not to give anything away. Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, but you filmed this during lockdown and yeah, yeah that's right. So I mean, with just your phone. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. uh, so the first lockdown was announced like all, a, a year ago, almost, today uh, so march m- march last year 2020 um when the uk lockdown was announced i think it was on like by the second day matt had already decided that actually we weren't going to sit around and learn french we were going to like make a film and um and so we sort of thought about okay how are we going to do this obviously we're going to have to shoot it on our iphone and you'd already Which wanted is something, to, yeah, something yeah. I've, I've wanted to do for a while. You know, with the R, we, you know, we were filming on lovely Ari Alexis and that sort of stuff. 
thing. But I've, I've always wanted to, to see you know, how far you can push smaller technology because small technology means a smaller crew, so you can move faster, you can maybe be a bit more experimental with things, you know, in the indie sort of world, you know, when mm. you've got limited time and money. So something I wanted to play around with for a while anyway. I didn't imagine the crew would just be the two of us, to be perfectly honest. I did imagine a few more people than that. Um, yeah, but I, I, I started going on, because the, the, the first lockdown in the UK was really strict. Yeah. Um, unlike the ones that we're in at the moment. Um, so no one was going anywhere. The streets of London were just empty. Um, it was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and, so it was, and it was Edgar Wright, who we, I saw a tweet saying, I hope, you know, I hope there's some indie filmmakers just filming this stuff because you were never going to get these, you know, these empty shots um, again. So I started going off on a sort of post-apocalyptic woman journeying, sort of going to find her family or something like that. But then Tori remembered that we had been working on something else. Yeah, so we um, had written the original screenplay of Infinitum, um, started about eight years ago. Um, and that's when we did all the research into quantum physics and um, all of that kind of um, back work. Time um, loops and parallel worlds. Yeah, so we, string theory. we <laughs> built a world already. Um, and... Uh, and then we had subsequently then um, begun to develop it into a TV series because our manager in America suggested that it would lend itself very well to that. So we'd already kind of got the pilot written. Um, and then it just sort of occurred to me that actually, well, we could use this opportunity to write a, a kind of sister piece, a sister film that would run alongside the bigger world, um, but just take one character um, and isolate her within um, a, a parallel world where she's sort of lost. So she's kind of in no man's land and she's trapped between the two worlds. Um, and so that's kind of what, what we what we went for with it. Um, and it, it meant that we, it, it was so perfect because we could shoot these empty streets of London. And, um, and as soon as it was announced that we, if you could work, um, then you were allowed to go and if it was yeah if it was safe you, and the British film industry could go back out filming, um, but everyone that was sort of working out well how do we do that we'll need tests then and PPE yeah and how do we do that with social distancing and mean we have in the meantime we just shoved everything in the back of the car and, and just drove very quickly to <laughs> drove, drove down to Oxfordshire to go and film. Um, in Roxton Abbey, which, so that came about, that location basically came about because my mum is an art historian lecturer for um, a, uh, a, a, an American university. So you guys have Fairleigh Dickinson University um, over there and um, they have a, uh, a UK kind of um, branch, which is Roxton, Roxton Abbey. And so, because all the the students were in America, stuck in America, the well, they all was, ran away, which is very wild. Yeah. And they they just jump on every plane they and just got out before all um, the lockdown happened. So it was empty. So I so I sort of wrote to the dean and I said, um, <laughs> "Is there any chance that we could? There's only two of us. Can we come and um, film the odd scene uh, at Roxton, which was just amazing because it's such a fabulous, fabulous location." Um, and the rest of it was shot in our house. So like in the little attic that's kind of, and the weird empty flat below us. Um, so so we, we, we just sort of wrote around the idea or places we knew we could get as well. Yeah. So because this was a sort of a whole fresh new idea separate to the main infinitum, 
we had a vague idea and oh, what can we actually actually get then okay well we've got a car we live near some interesting locations that we found when we were walking the dog you know with bridges with all this interesting graffiti we've got this weird attic that we can play with and then so we, we just wrote around built the story around that yeah what, what we knew we'd be able to sort of actually sort of film in yeah and then as many you know shots driving around london as we could get actually i've got so much footage that didn't end up in the film as well of um Covent Garden is a really famous place in London. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, you know, where all the theatres, all the 18th century theatres and things were, were going. So I, I would run around these empty places and then, you know, security guards would occasionally just look at me and go, what are you doing? I'd run back into the car. So <laughs> I've got all this footage that, you know, would cost huge amounts of money to get normally, which didn't end up in the film. So yeah. maybe one day we'll, uh, we'll use it. We can it. use it, yeah. Yeah, so we just sort of pieced it together like that, really. See, your dog should have got credit as one of the location scouts. Oh, that would have been cute. Sorry, Audrey. She's listening as well. Audrey, you you, you talk to your agent. You know, you should demand more food or or, or extra some extra treats for this this breach. You know, and that kind of stuff. So I know you breach your contract. Yeah, I got to look out for our canine companions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When I was watching this, and when I got done finish, I was thinking of it as I a choose-your-own-adventure science fiction-type movie. Ah, amazing. Because as you're going, as, as you're going, that's not giving too much away because it happens early on. She's repeating everything in the loop, and you right. remember things, and you're able to choose a different path. And it reminds me of when I was you know, younger and reading all those choose-your-own-adventure books, and then you remember, oh, no, I don't want to go that way because that's going to end up going bad, you know, so then you end up going different ways. And that's a brilliant yeah, way of describing yeah, it. Yeah, I used yeah, to love yeah. those books. Yeah. That's a great way of thinking about it. Huh. Well, see, it could have been in the back of your mind when you're, you know, when you're writing and it's like, oh, this is. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think with quantum physics, you know, the idea is that, you know, in one theory or parts of quantum physics, anything that can happen will and does happen as well. So the, the possibilities are endless of which way she could go. So every time she goes left, there's another version of her which has gone right and that sort of thing so mm. um which is this in the big in the big experiment which we obviously in in, in subjects unknown we can't really delve into just because there's not enough people and things um but in the big experiment this is what um the gov well it starts off the scientists and then obviously the government um get on board of, of trying to create people who can um sort of foresee these things if they can see all these possibilities and they can alter reality so it's kind of I suppose superhero-y esque, yeah. you know, uh, I suppose in that point of view. But that's what they're that's what they're aiming for. Yeah, people. they're aiming to create these sort of super agents that can almost kind of predict the future and 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 choose choose yeah, an so outcome. I suppose it's a little bit matrixy and things. And obviously, yeah. this isn't in subjects unknown. This is, we just sort of follow one one of the subjects. We don't really know exactly what's happening. So it's always meant to be sort of like an intro into the world. And then, you know, such would we get to go make Infinite and the, the big beast to sort of almost mm. explain <laughs> what we've been doing. So the characters that you are introduced to in, in Subjects Unknown, so Ian's character, Stalin White, and Thomas' character, Professor um, Aragard, they are the two guys that discover the paraverse in the place and have the idea of the experiment. So they are much bigger um, presence in in the in the sort of in the larger world yeah. um, of infinitum. Yeah, which they couldn't really be in this one. Well, apart from the COVID sort of point of view as well, yeah. it's very nice to have to film it all at home. 
Um, but we wanted to just sort of trick all those little bits in, so when we get to the other the other versions, it all starts to knit itself together. And exactly. you go, ah, that makes sense. <laughs> kind of really playing the long game, isn't it? <laughs> Assuming we're going to get the money to go and make the other films. But. <laughs> well, I think when people see it this is. one, it could be it gives them an idea, a taste of what the bigger world could be. Being a cynical person, I, with the, the government wanting to train people to be able to predict all possible outcomes, I, I can't see anything going wrong with that. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, no. oh yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So in the main one, one of the scientists realizes... Um, How one, dangerous. Yeah, so that the American scientists actually, because if the UK and America get together and do this, he realizes that this is going to end badly, badly. so he tries to sort of infiltrate it from within one of the worlds and trains one of the people up to try and bring it down from the inside. Um, so that's, that's basically the main plot of it, yeah. So Jane, the Tories character, recurs in, in those other ones as well. Well, that would be good. And when I was watching this film, this is the first time I'd seen any of your work, um, I, I emailed this to Matt and stuff. You reminded me so much of a young Diane Lane going through thank the thing. So, oh, thank you so much. When Matt told me that, I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, because because and all all the stuff I've seen you've done with him, you know your your characters are always tough, whatever. But also they show their emotional side, but their toughness and everything like that as they go as you go through it. And in this one, you definitely have to. It's just for the most part, ninety nine percent of the movie is you. I mean, you have that one yeah. percent with Call of Hill and 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 Sir Ian McCallum, but I mean, it's ninety nine percent you. So this this movie lives or dies. <laughs> with your performance <laughs> and your performance, it's making it live. And, and I think that's just one of those things you're able to cross so many different emotions and, and show that, that, that the character gets tougher and stronger as the movie goes on. Oh, thank you. That's really, really kind. Yeah. It was an, it was a tricky one. Cause obviously because she is on her own <laughs> in an empty, deserted world, there is no one for her to talk to. So um, we really sort of had to battle with the, that that whole, you know, how are we going to get the information across to the audience? Which is partly why we, we really wanted to introduce the characters of, of Ian and Conlas. And also the device of her having a walkie-talkie, which, um, or radio, which kind of... Uh, you know, she, she there, it gives the possibility that there is there is someone else out there that she's that she's talking to. I'm not really going to say much more because mm -hmm. it kind of goes away. But um, but it was it was always kind of uh, we discussed it um quite a lot that because it's such an extreme situation that the character's in, um, it would have been very easy perhaps to kind of really go down the emotional route, um and. And it would be understandable for someone in that situation to just completely have a sort of breakdown and be, you know, really um, incredibly sort of um, on, on edge the whole time. But then for us, it felt like, like because you are, if she is repeating over and over again, if I was kind of constantly in that state, it would become very monotonous for the audience. Um, and quite tiring well, to watch. She'd always be the victim. And, she, and, and yeah, really really and I think we were very keen yeah. to make sure that this female strong, this you know, female character was a strong female lead, um, and not always being. But also, the that victim. doesn't mean like oh, kicking down doors and things. No, yeah, you know, she's a human, so of course she, she has vulnerability. And, absolutely, yeah. and it was yeah, it was very important to show that vulnerability. Um, so that which is you know not just a female thing, but actually. Um, hopefully, 
you know, a very real emotion that anyone watching it feels if they were put in, in that situation. Um, and I think it, I think it was, it's funny because we obviously started writing it right at the beginning of lockdown. So we didn't know where that we, in a year's time, we'd all still be here. But I think the, how it sort of mirrors um, a lot of the experiences and the emotions and the sensations that we've all been living through the past year. Um, it sort of, I guess in some ways, people have watched it and felt... Well, they sort of, sort of recognise themselves yeah. almost in it in terms of the situations, which wasn't the intention, but you, know, you can't help, I suppose, when you're writing or creating something, our thoughts, I mean, it's going to affect you. you know, there's yeah. things going on, and even though we weren't consciously thinking about it, no. Um, I think it was only when we started sort of um, posting little pictures on Instagram of, you know, Tori was alone by herself at a window and screaming to get out. People go, oh, I know how you feel. Uh, yeah. like, oh, hang on, yeah, people are sort of living this. Exactly. <laughs> sort of obviously not on, well, it felt like we were on, on repeat, you know, the same day, was just going over and over again. Yeah, which was, So I think in some ways sort of people have, um, it sort of almost been slightly reassuring, <laughs> sort of very, very unnerving to watch. But also I think there's been sort of a, a reassurance there that it's that, not just me yeah yeah and that we have all managed to kind of find that inner strength that jane finds um to keep going and keep pursuing and keep pushing forwards um to you know to to find out to find the answer um so yeah i think it's sort of like it's, it's one of those kind of happy coincidences that we unless people just get really sick of lockdown yeah i mean, I mean the covid <laughs> thing and they're like oh i don't want to watch that yeah, well, that was not the point. It's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it it's kind of ties in with it, but it's not directly tied. In. It's not like there was a pandemic going on in your movie and that kind of stuff. So it's there yeah. no. if you want it to go that way as an audience member, or you can just, I think it also will stand alone like 20 years from now when, you know, a 20 year old's watching this and they're not going to have any idea, hopefully, what anything we've gone through is about. Right. And uh, they'll be like, yeah. oh, this yeah. is. This could be like my parents when they were forcing me to stay home, you know, they might have a totally different approach. Like, oh, I was grounded. I had to stay in my bedroom for a week when I was a teenager. Now, you know, you never know what experiences they're going to bring to it. Absolutely. That's very true. Yeah, absolutely. I hope people are still watching in 20 years. time. That'd be nice. That's the dream, isn't it, really? Well, who knows? You might be having more and more. This might be like the big universe thing, you know, where it goes out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah our own cinematic universe will be yeah great. exactly that would be nice <laughs> now, one thing i thought was interesting when you guys brought up about how the streets are cleared that was or cleared because of people there it reminded me of like 28 days late um later where <laughs> you're able to have like the the run of the town it has that that's such an eerie feel to it and i was mm. i'm an essential employee so of course during the the lockdowns here and everything in the united states i was still going to work and i remember when everything was starting to get locked down, um, I'd be driving and there'd be like nobody on the roads really at all. And then be, mm. you wouldn't see anybody. And it just, it felt like, I mean, you would see there'd be some cars out there and some things going on, but it was nowhere near the level. And you felt like you were in a world like that, you know, when as a person driving and going to work still, and you're just like, Oh, where are all the people? Yeah. <laughs> and that was going on yeah. for weeks. Yeah. That was so- interesting. Yeah, yeah, and driving through Soho in London and everything being boarded up and you know, graffiti and you know, live and safe and things like yeah. that, it, it sort of felt so 
apocalyptic is, is extraordinary, to be honest. Which, yeah, I mean, especially an area like Soho, which is so vibrant. It's always so busy. No matter what time of so day or night you go to, yeah. yeah. Tourists from around the world and full of actors and yeah, yeah, all sorts yeah. of life. And just to be deserved. You know, of course, there were people around there. were essential workers and things yeah. like that. And, you know, and that's why we did everything through the car. Uh, so Tori was always in the car. We didn't want to be irresponsible and start wandering around, you know, mm. all these places where we should have been inside. So, so all those shots, um, you know, I'd either meet of just sticking a camera out of the window or, you know, we're on Tori as we're driving through because we didn't want to start, you know, wandering around in the middle of a, a pandemic mm. too much, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. But speaking about Great. that phone, until I was watching the Q and A, and you you're talking about how you used only your phone, I would never have known there was only a phone. It, it's oh, it's, it's amazing. So, <laughs> what were you using to help with um to help you get some of those shots? I mean, did you have any? I mean, obviously you weren't you weren't holding this just in your hand. You're using something else, right? Yeah, we had it, but it, it was a really cheap, we had this a cheap little gimbal. Um, I think it's a, I don't know how you pronounce it, but a Zion Smooth Four, which is maybe a hundred dollars or something like, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, when we looked into gimbals and things before, and you can get much more expensive ones, but for the things that I wanted to have a play around with, the movement wise, um, it seemed to be um, seemed to make sort of sense. And I'm not very technical as well, so I had to sort of sit on YouTube a lot um, the days leading up to it, and just sort of just try and learn how. How on earth you did this, and a special sort of they call it the ninja walk to kind of um, to move to to kind of have that steady cam sort of feel. And a lot of our other films are fairly static because we like that a lot of the seventies films. So two down in the aisle, there is some movement, but only very specifically. It's more sort of you know sort of static sort of stuff. This time I wanted to play around with almost continuous movement, not for no reason. It always had to be connected to you know what. Um, Tory, you know, you know, Jane was sort of going through. I was trying to sort of play around with that, but it was just a tiny little gimbal. And then we used so it was an, we, we were using an iPhone yeah, 11 Pro, Pro um, which was nice. And then, but we, we had a, there's a, an app called Filmic Pro. There, I know there are other ones, which is about fifteen pounds, so probably same amount in dollars, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, which gives you a lot more control over the phone, and especially the light and the color of it. So a lot of the time. If you shoot on iPhones, you know, things are sort of too blown out or you can't get the, the Control color. the white balance. Yeah, yeah. The, the white balance, the whole sort of color of the, of the room to try and get, um, you know, from scene to scene to kind of keep it feeling the same. Um, this fairly, to be fair, you know, it's a very cheap app can really help you with that. Um, then we paid for the extra cinematic bit, which is another 15 pounds. So you can turn it into log. So flattens everything, um, which meant we could play around um, in the post-production a lot more rather than just shooting it. Um, sort of naturally as it so um and that's pretty much it we had well yeah the only thing with an iphone is it doesn't deal with bright light even if you're inside very well at all um and we were shooting it and it was fairly it was pretty sunny it's sort of april and may over here which is, seems to be our summer these days it's all changed and gone strange um so we had these tiny really again really really cheap um clip-on nd filter um to kind of cope with uh the the light but that was that was it to be honest, and um, because we never wanted to shy away from saying it, we were shot on an iPhone, but we didn't want people to watch it and go, "Oh, this was shot on the phone." Yeah, we, you know, it's nice to go watch that. Did you enjoy it? So it was shot on the phone. You know, yeah. it's possible to make a film that doesn't feel like that. And then sound-wise, it was just a little Rode mic, um, which had a I had a lapel mic to um, 
plugged into it, and then the receiver was then attached. Was taped to, to my my gimbal phone because that had to then be plugged into the phone. So I mean, it was the, it was a little bit hot. Hit, hit, yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of tape holding bits together. To be perfectly honest with you, um, yeah. as we learn things. Um, so that was it, and then we had two lights. Yeah, two very very simple sort of LED lights, but that we could sort of change to sort of white and yellow, so it's day and night, and dimmable. That was important to kind of try and match things. Yeah. Um, so I mean, not that people would, I can imagine would ever see, but because there's different timelines going on every time Tori gets reset, it's almost like there's another version. So trying to keep the continuity of the light each one of those was quite hard to, to be able to have a bit of control over the, the light. And again, neither of us technically were, had, well, to be fair, we had no idea about the technical side of lighting. You know, I'm still a bit about the creative side, but normally we have you know, DIP cinematographers to do the clever things for us. So we, mm. we, we were on, had to go on a big learning curve about that. But the great thing about the internet is, you know, it's all there. It's all there. <laughs> and that, and it's, not, it's not easy. It's hard work, though. <laughs> I'm not going yeah, to lie about that. Well, the reason I wanted to bring it up, because I know um, some of the people listening to our show are independent filmmakers like yourself, and it gives them an idea there's different tools you can use that are re- relatively inexpensive. I mean, you know, that you mm. can get a, you, get, you get your hands on and go for it. Or for people that want to become filmmakers, it's like, well, you got this. If you go just, just get these few things, you can yeah. go and start exactly. to do some wonderful stuff. Yeah, and I think, and we, yeah. to be fair, we never actually really thought that anyone was going to see this. That, that wasn't particularly the intention, even with Connor and Ian on board, that was because we knew them and they were friends. And um, I think, yeah, sort of certainly at the beginning before they were attached to the project, it was just to keep ourselves sane. And, and to learn as well. We, you know, we, we were using it as, okay, so I want to learn more about lights. I want to learn more about, you know, um, the, the power of movement with the camera and, and shot sizes and things like that. You know, I've done films obviously before, but I just wanted to, just learn more about it. Um, but then we realised, oh, well, it, it, this is actually, as our, as our editor after a few days, he's going, this is actually really good, guys. This could be a sort of a proper film, so, which is very nice. And I think he was a little bit doubtful at first. I think he was humouring us. <laughs> we said, look, we're going to send you footage every day. Because I think it was just the two of us on set, but we obviously, we had Will Honeyball, the editor, sort of watching the footage every day to let us know if, you know, if <laughs> one of the shots was out of focus again, or something was blown out, or mm-hmm. visually it wasn't, quite telling the story we wanted so that was hugely helpful to have that outside eye because when he said you know this is actually seems like a real film um which was sort of gave us the confidence to you know to, to keep going but originally it was just to have a play and experiment you know yeah. now one thing tori you brought up about how uh, both you said about hey you have limited amount of takes before with other films because you had like 12 days or some eight days and this one being that it was you were the only actor did it feel nice that you had almost like an unlimited amount of takes, I guess you could say, where you, you, you felt like you got it right? <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I Actually, to be honest, there were still definitely moments that I was like, I want to do it again. And Matt was like, no, we are not doing it again. <laughs> um, but I could do it better. I could definitely do it better. Um, but yeah, no, but, but certainly it was, it was really lovely as an actor to have that luxury of just kind of, not having the time pressure. Um, I think uh, certainly I've in the past I've always been a little kind of anxious to ask for another take because there are so many people waiting for you. And if the director said, yeah, great, got it, let's move on. You know, as an actor, you're a bit like, oh, okay, okay, you think you've, okay, cool, you've got it, okay. You know, even though in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I really wish I 
could have done that again. Um, so I think it's kind of taught me to maybe be, be a bit braver um, and be like, actually, um, you know, if it if it's possible, I would really love another tape. Um, but then also on the flip side, I think you know, actors we can so easily get in our heads, um, and you, you know, you can like anything, I guess you know you never hit perfection you can just keep going and going and going at anything um and and so like trusting the director mm-hmm. especially when it's your husband um <laughs> and knowing you know when you're like okay okay we can all right fine i i believe you we can move on um we sort because we sort of we didn't have a huge time pressure but we also knew well we didn't realize we didn't know how long the lockdown would last so we you know we knew with this location, you know, we thought all oh, suddenly all the American students might come back and we can't film there, you know, and it's a fairly epic sort of place to film. You know, they don't come along you know, that, that often, yeah. you know, for very little money. We didn't know when the streets of London would open up. So, yeah. so sometimes we'd, you know, spend a few hours on a scene that we thought we might only spend one, but it had to be a sort of, we have to move on now as well. So. Yeah, I think also if we hadn't have, because we we gave ourselves like a day when we were like right we're going to start shooting tomorrow you know and we're gonna you know this is we we did sort of schedule it because i think if we hadn't had that structure of at least feeling like we were doing shooting a real film um and that discipline then i think perhaps it it could have started to kind of get a little bit lost and a little messy along the way. Yeah, we sort of made a structure so we could play within it. But if we'd yeah. just been playing without some sort of parameters, then I think it might have just got a bit messy, maybe. Exactly. I yeah. think. I think. Um, but, the, but then you're absolutely right. Is that that you know what was what was so lovely is that because we were shooting at home, it was sort of like oh, we didn't make the day. Okay, well we're here, so that's <laughs> fine. We can just get up tomorrow morning and start that scene yeah, we'll again. Yeah, we'll start an hour earlier, you know, fine. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, so that sort of, having that kind of sense of luxury of time and not that time pressure that you have so often have on a film. You know, we've got to make the day, we've got to make the day. Um, well, and I could play a lot more as well as a director because I, again, you know, made a few films, but you still, if you've got 40 people behind you and you're like, oh, I actually want to play with something else, but then, okay, well, that's going to involve an hour of turning around, changing the lighting, that sort of stuff. You know, sometimes you go, okay, well, it's fine. What we've got is good. We have to move on. But with, with having an iPhone on a gimbal, you can throw it all over the place and you could try so many different things. So sometimes yeah. you go, oh, hang on. What if I'm just above you? Well, hang on, how do I do that? Well, I'll go and get a chair and I'll just stand yeah. on it and I'll just spin around you. Or, or What if I just stand on this stool? Yeah, which I think, you know, in any other situation, you might have just been a bit like, Oh God! Are all the crew going to look at me and yeah, be like, "What is yeah. he doing? He's standing on a well, stool." Also, you can't really ask someone to stand on a stool. <laughs> I mean, you have to, you know, yeah. And they go, "Okay, that was rubbish. Fine, let's go and do something else." It, it, you know, that that sort of matters. allowed us to play a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is nice. Which is kind of the purpose of what why we did it. Yeah. We wanted to learn and we wanted to teach ourselves um, more about um, not only for me acting and for you filmmaking. Yeah, I think that's the wonderful thing about people pushing the creative boundaries, you know, and uh, at different times, because it, 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 unless you have people that are willing to say, well, they say this can't be done this way. Let, I'm going to try it anyway. And let's find out how this will work. And then you can find things that are sometimes eh, that didn't work as well as I thought, but then you find the other things that, well, this really worked nice. And now you added something to your um, repertoire of techniques to utilize down the road. Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And I, I'd love to um to work on an iPhone again. To be honest, I'd like to have more people um, as a crew, but still you know, move quite quite quickly. You know, yeah. I think you know, and uh, you know, I think infinite is great, but you know, there's still room technically to to, to do more to, explore, to explore yeah. more. And I, now I know more about the lighting side of things. You know, I can kind of keep keep pushing that. So I, I very very happily because um, also they shoot you know 4K as well. So you know, the fact we were going we were going to have a cinema run over here I think says a lot about what you can do yeah. with an iPhone and it stand up you know um, on a big screen thing Apple if you're listening you know you should be backing this film this is like a perfect they, promo they are, <laughs> they are. They're, they're really behind the film which is extraordinary um, they, yeah they've, it, they've been really amazing yeah um, so, so we, yeah so the Apple uh, so the iPhone PR people over here they're, they're Helping hugely because at first they got I got in touch with them and they said oh well that's nice you made a film on an iPhone <laughs> and then and then they, they watched it around that and two hours later went, oh no this oh this is a proper film okay uh, and they so they've been sorting out interviews and all sorts of things and and so the US team are behind it now and Australia and New Zealand and so they're they're really behind it I think so they want to sort of use it, it as an example of you know um, what is possible what, what yeah. is possible which is yeah. great. You know, it's slightly scary, but um, no, it's it's fantastic. They've 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 really got behind it, so which is good because otherwise I'm going to say they're totally they'd be totally stupid not to. But I'm glad that they're actually smart <laughs> enough to utilize. It's like, oh no, this wonderful film. Oh, we're not going to talk about it at all. I mean, no, no, you better put it out there because this is going to this is going to be a selling point for why people should get an iPhone over another phone, and you know, in their perspective, you know, and uh, always always nice yeah, to have sales. Yeah, yeah. One, well, no, yeah, they've been fantastic. Yeah. One question I want to ask you. In the movie, there's a moth trapped in the glass in the window, and um, mm-hmm. I, I was wondering because to me it could have been like it, I could be wrong, but it's like two different things. It could be like her stuck in the time loop and the moth is stuck, or because it's between two panes of glass, it's like she's the specimen going under the microscope, or it's, both. It's sort of, nice. Yeah, lo- it's lots of things. Yeah, no, it's exactly that. But and also, yeah. and and also because. Um, it's obviously both wings they're all sort of mirrors of each other as well mm-hmm. and so we throughout the film you know we have that sort of Rorschach um sort of thing coming out as well so it was all it was it was sort of various little story yeah. thanks for noticing that theme. yeah and that was that was one of those lovely happy accidents that happens on a film when you know you you arrive in a location and she was there just sitting there yeah well slightly um, further over and I moved there well. <laughs> yeah but yeah she was already up there and the opening yeah. of the film also with the graphics it was very um doctor who is doctor who yes <laughs> you know i was like oh I'm, you know, this this is like the old who you know and with the yeah the way it's streaming i like that yeah okay. we sort of wanted we sort of what we watched a lot of um the older uh like especially you know the u.s and the uk government were doing all those you know mk ultra and all those um experiments and terrestrial traveling and all that sort of stuff so they would use all sorts of images to try and get the, the sort of agents into into the, uh, the the space to be able to go off mm. and you know um, astral travel and spy on people. So that was sort of a little bit of a, a sort of nod to what they were using, basically that sort of stuff. So this is obviously in the sixties and seventies when it was a little bit um, trippier, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Now there's something you're talking about world building with your movie. There's a graphic novel that's in the works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that started um, about a year ago. So that came from so that was our manager in LA again. Said, um, you know, why not use the turn the pilot 
of the TV version of Infinitum into a graphic novel. Um, and we have, well, so an old friend of Tori's, which went to John's school with Ben Lee. Yeah, he um, he's a, an actor, but also a brilliant he's actually, artist. He's, he's one of the um, voices of the scientists in Subject Unknown as well, actually. So you and can hear he his voice. he's also in Two Down. I'm in Two Down. So, and the Isle. Yeah, and okay. the Isle. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so um that actor ben lee he um we it was april so we 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 already got into 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 shooting into filming it um but uh we thought well hang on a minute ben because obviously for us actors there wasn't that much work happening everything was closed down so um i said to ben i was like oh is there any chance you want to read the um pilot He's an amazing artist, and sort of you know, graphic novels are very much his his bag. Yeah, Yeah. and um, and and, you know, and have a look and see if it would work as a graphic novel, and if you might consider um, transcribing it into into them. Um, and so that's what he's been working on since since April. So he's from literally from like the script to then storyboarding it to creating all the characters, and for us. Um, you know, as, as writers, we're always got the producer hat on. You know, so you're always kind of thinking, okay, realistically, how do we actually how do, this? do we actually um, how's do this? Gonna, how can we afford to do this? How are we so yeah, writing but around the location? A graphic novel, there are no limitations. It is, you know, your imagination is the limit. So Ben has just been amazing. He's like taken our little descriptions in the script, and he's just kind of gone with it. Um, yeah. But sort of used actors that we said, so like Ian McKellen, a version of Ian McKellen is in there, a version of yeah. Thomas Hill is, is in there as well, which is fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so that's, that's going to be a fairly epic graphic novel, which is, yeah, yeah. it's you know, it's, it's a big project, but it's, it's, he's getting there, which is good. So we'll let you know when it comes out when we know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because I, I love graphic novels. So I'm like looking forward to anything, you know, because you, again, you can build the world and it's a different medium, yeah. has a different approach. Two different uh, the work, which which we're bringing back to your movie one more time. Um, what I like about it because there's, there's very sparse dialogue. Because again, you know, she doesn't talk much because otherwise she'd be talking to herself. It reminded me mm. of the movie that came out a few years ago, um, the Arctic. The Arctic. I don't know if you guys had seen the Arctic with Mads Mad- Mickelson. Mads Mickelson. Oh, no, um, that's not good already. Um, he he um. I think Joe Pina is the director, if I remember correctly, and he plays a pilot who um, crashes. And um, but they, it's so much of it is visual. He speaks very little because he's by himself. Um, and, and then the yeah. person he, he ends up getting one other person with him, but that person is unconscious practically the whole time. And um, oh, wow. it's a survival story, and it's all from his POV, and it, it's just it's just amazing. And um, oh, we'll check that out! Yeah, yeah thank that you. sounds brilliant. So we're really scribbling that down. Yeah, yeah writing. And down, I yeah. love him as well. He's such a right fantastic now. actor. So. Yeah, oh, we'll check that out. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he's, you'll like that movie, and you'll see the similarities where it's just you know a survival thing. You're by yourself. Yeah. You're not speaking much, and his is set in the um, in the Arctic region. Oh, I bet it's stunning as well. Oh, yeah. it's very good. I think I think it, um, Joe Pino. I think it was his directorial debut. You know. Right, right. And how cool. we got, we'll check it out. And how he got Mads Mickelson, who knows? But I was just, but that's something, you know, it's, I think people sometimes when they're doing films miss that the whole point of the film is to show the, the visual part and not 
always be talking, yeah. talking, talking. I think if you're showing it, you have to trust that your audience, if you did a good job of filming it and presenting it, that the people will be able to follow what's going along without having to be mm. spoon fed, you know, exposition. And I think this film does exactly. a very good job of that. Oh, thank you. Well, that, that was, that, especially from my point of view as the filmmaker, that was definitely what I wanted to, to, to work on more, the visual storytelling. You know, it's, it's a visual medium. So exactly that. And we, we know sort of people who, um, well, when they produce, uh, producers, when they watch actors' showreels and things, the first thing they'll do is turn the sound off. Because if, they, if the actors are telling the story visually, then they're like, okay, I, you, know, you, you know your screen craft, you know, your, your acting sort of screen craft thing. Um, so that was something we definitely wanted to, both of us, explore a lot more. Mm. So thanks. Right. <laughs> Thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. It did an excellent job. And I think it just shows that the two of you work so well together. And I'm going to steal this question from Sir Ian as, the, as probably like one of our final questions. Who makes the decisions? Who's the final <laughs> sayer like with these movies? And he, it was such a great question. And I figured I'm, I'm going to steal it from him. I'm giving him credit, though, and I'm throwing it out to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether we answered it. Before either, no, I, yeah. um, I think. Um, I think it depends on what it is, though. To be fair, I mean, yeah, because because obviously, uh, Tori is, an, is a fantastic producer as well. So we both produce things in it, but then I'll stop at a point and be the director. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're the actor, but I think you know, um, you have a very good eye for the producing yeah. side of things. So I think sometimes you know, I'll, I so as, as Tori as an actor have to trust me as a director. Me as a director has to trust Tori as a producer as well on certain things. So and exactly, and I think I think when we're writing, um, even is it, like it's very much a collaboration. And but I'm probably a harsher critic, so I might <laughs> I might read yeah. something you've written and go, no, babe, that's yeah, terrible. Exactly. But then you'll be like, oh, okay, we can work. Okay, we can workshop this. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and it's probably the only time we've actually ever really argued, you know, in married life as well, is, is usually over a line or something, yes, isn't it? Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Over a script. It'll be over a script. Yeah. Depends. <laughs> I think, yeah, we, we both get our way at different times on the process. We still haven't answered the question, really. No, I, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I know. It's weird when you read it, though. We need someone else to be kind of watching. See, see, you'd, see yeah, actually, probably you'd have to ask, like, our editor, oh, thing, Will, yeah, yeah. or something. Who makes the decisions, yeah. and then actually, probably the answer would be tourists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there we go. Got to the bottom of it. Yeah, I, I was going to say once you said she, you know, producer. It's usually, it's usually the producer. You know, that has the final yeah. say. Trump, producer, director trumps actor. Producer trumps director. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and of course, I guess, I guess your dog trumps everybody. You know, because of course she does. Yeah. Always. Yeah. She is boss dog. Yes, exactly. Although actually the true critic is my dad because he falls asleep in absolutely every yeah. film that we've ever made. Or anyone else from Infinitum. Yeah. First film, first film he's, he hasn't fallen asleep He's in. seen it twice now and not fallen asleep both times, which is so, high praise indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just, I could just imagine, you know, like, it's like, like, did you stay awake for the whole thing? It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, literally. Yeah, because he will fall asleep at Pretty much anything. Yeah, we've been in live screenings with you know, there's a Q and A. You sort of look up and Chris is asleep, snoring away. Like, oh, yeah. Thanks. Oh God. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, family they say is always the toughest. Well, they're going to tell you the more way it is than you know, friends will be nicer yeah. and other things yeah. like that. But family, those was like this is good and bad. I mean, 
yeah, what can you say? They're family. They keep yeah. it real. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 do you guys have coming up in the future? Anything you can you can talk about at all? Well, uh, I think I think realistically over here by the sounds of things, sort of COVID precautions will be in for at least the rest of this year and, and into next one. So the films that we were thinking of going uh, to working on are just, I think, realistically, sort of too big. They, you know, too many people, too many moving pieces. So we're they involve crowd scenes, and and I think to kind of take those out would really jeopardise quite a lot of the, um, the point of it. Yeah, and the story. So goes. so we're sort of putting those to just one side gently, just until this is you know this is all kind of under control and we're sort of back to a, a reasonable normality. Um, and actually, I think we're both really keen to um, shoot another film on on uh, on iPhone again. So, um, which we'll hopefully kind of get in by the end of end of this year. Fingers crossed. We'll we'll yeah. So, I'm I'm really keen to sort of carry on exploring the infinitum world to have some. So, not the big version. The sort of option, the great thing about it being about parallel worlds is you can have infinite stories, which is fantastic. So, I'm working on on one of those, and Tori's got. Something else up a sleeve I've, as well. So. I've gone down your post-apocalyptic exactly, road. Yeah. So we, 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 that. yeah, we're keeping sort of you know small cast, small you know limited locations, um, small crew of a couple of that. Yeah, so we'll just see who finishes first. That'll probably be you, won't it? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll let you know. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And um, for for listeners, how can they follow you guys? Do so they know what's coming up in your work and things like that? Sure. Well, we're on, yeah, we're on all the socials pretty much, aren't we? Yeah. So Fizz and Ginger films usually will direct you to the main thing. Um, yes. Yeah, so on the website, um, Fizz and Ginger Films, .co.uk, there is our Twitter and our um, Facebook. And you can also subscribe to our uh, newsletter, which will we'll probably be kind of quarterly, um, that will keep people um, updated. But then the handles for... Twitter, mm-hmm. I forget. I think it's Fizz and Ginger. <laughs> it's like this. I think it's Fizz and Ginger and Fizz Ginger Films on Instagram because someone else has Fizz and Ginger on there. That's why I say yeah, if you go towards Fizz and Ginger Films, you will eventually you you'll, will you'll find, find it fairly quickly. And then otherwise, I'm at Tori Butler Hart. I'm Matt Butler Hart. Yeah. There we go. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining me and having this good conversation about your movies and some of the things that you guys um, led you to the, the careers you did or are in. Well, thank oh, you so much no, for having thank us. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely to yeah. chat. Great. And listeners, um, join us on our next episode um, when we're going to be doing a movie review that's decided by the cast of a die or another interview. Talk to you guys later. Bye. <laughs>